We're starting a new series this week uh, called Stretch It Out. Stretch It Out. Uh, if you have ever exercised, uh, or if you do it regularly, but ever, you know that this is important. I try to exercise regularly. I try to go to the gym a few times a week. I know you're like, really? You, what are you doing there? Eating donuts? Uh, but I do go, and I, I don't enjoy exercise. I don't really like it. And so I've, I, I kind of feel like this whole thing might just be a waste of time. So I limit my, my time to about 20, 25 minutes in the gym. That's why, yeah, it's not doing much. So, but I just don't like to waste time. And so when I go, I just want to start, let's just start sweating right away and let's sweat for 20 minutes and then let's leave. And so stretching doesn't really fit into that approach very well. But I have learned over the last few years that um, stretching is, is more important than I ever gave it credit for. There are so many mornings when I wake up and my first thought is, I didn't stretch yesterday. <laughs> I know, my body is telling me right now in this moment, I did not stretch yesterday before I exercised. And that's why I feel the way I do. Like I don't want to get out of bed. It's, I just, everything's going to hurt today. Stretching uh, is supposed to hurt a little. It's supposed to cause a little pain. Uh, in case you're, you're, it's been a while, you're not familiar, go ahead and stand up. Let's, let's try it out. I, I, now, Zach is on a different level. Don't try to be Zach right now. Uh, the, the, he's, he's advanced, but let's do a little stretching. You can, you can maybe get a little of this going and, and uh, maybe one of the, these things. And listen, if you're doing it right, it'll hurt a little. If it hurts a lot, stop. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't hurt yourself. Um, so go ahead and you can sit down. It's, it should hurt a little. And that pain is there for a reason. That pain is there to let us know you have some room for improvement in your flexibility in this particular part of your body, right? That's what the pain is there for. If, if you don't get to the point of pain, then you don't get to the point of improvement, right? I, I think that's a very clear metaphor for what happens in my spiritual life. I, I want to have a strong faith. How about you? Do you, anybody feel like if, if you had a stronger faith, if you woke up more confident that God is present and active in your life, if you woke up more confident that God loves you, that he is with you and he is for you every single day, if you woke up with more confidence that his word is true and you can count on it and you can stand on it, if you woke up with more confidence that his love is not just for you, but for everyone around you. Would, would, would that change your life in a positive way? Would that make you a better husband or wife? Would it make you a better mother or father? Would it make you a better worker or employee or boss or neighbor? A stronger faith would be good for all of us. But what if, what if the way to a stronger faith goes through pain? What if that's actually how you get there? Let me ask it this way. Have, have you experienced any pain in your faith lately? If not, if not, it's kind of like, like stretching just to the point right before it's going to start hurting. And that doesn't actually do your muscles any good at all. What if we have to actually embrace the pain and push through the pain in order to grow our faith? I think we need a new perspective on pain. I think most of us see pain as something to be avoided at all costs. In fact, many, many of us are risk-averse people. We look at something, and if there's a risk of pain, 
We think, I'm not going down that road because I don't want to get hurt. For many people, th this is why you, you cut yourself off from relationships. That relationship causes me pain, so I'm stepping away from that. For many of us, this is why it's difficult for us to share our faith. It's risky, and it might hurt, so I step away from that. Because we, we're kind of built this way from the, time, the first time that you reach towards a hot stove as a child, and your mom says, no, no, that's going to hurt. We avoid pain. We try to protect ourselves. We pr try to protect each other from pain. I think we need a new perspective on pain. Let me show you what a new perspective can do. So uh, it, you're going to look at this sculpture, and when you first look at it, you're going to see, what do you see? Two giraffes. Now we're going to move around to the other side, and we're going to see what it looks like now. Now what do you see? Elephant. Somebody said gorilla. Get your eyes checked. Go ahead. It's been a while. Did the sculpture itself change? No. It, whatever that's made out of, the, the metal, the bars, or whatever, it didn't move. It didn't change. What changed? Your perspective. When you step around to the other side, you're seeing the same thing completely differently, right? This is what we need to do when it comes to pain and loss and suffering in our lives. We need to step around to the other side, and we need to begin to see it differently. James talks about this in James chapter 1. We're going to be there for just a minute. But what James does is he's just kind of highlighting something that is a thread that runs throughout the whole Bible. And, and you'll see this all throughout Scripture, this same concept that we're about to get into. Now, James was the brother of Jesus, uh, who later became a leader in the church. James wasn't always a follower of Jesus. If you can imagine your older brother saying, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God. You can kind of get where James has started out. He's like, uh-uh, I, mm -mm, I don't think so. You're, you actually might be crazy, but you're not the son of God. That's where James was until he met the resurrected Jesus. And then he was like, Lord and Savior, I saw him die, and I talked to him later. He's my Lord and Savior. And then he became a leader in the church, and he writes this letter very, to a very specific group of people. He writes it, verse 1 tells us, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. These are Jews who lived in Jerusalem and in Israel, but when they became followers of Jesus, it became unsafe to live there. They, they, weren't, they weren't safe there anymore. There was persecution uh, that was led by this guy named Saul, who later became Paul, but they saw it firsthand in the stoning of a deacon named Stephen. When Stephen dies, everyone gets scared and leaves. And they're so, so now these Christian Jews are scattered all over the place, and James is writing this letter to them as people who have experienced what it's like to suffer for their faith. And here's what he says to them, verse 2. My dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. James is saying, look, I know, I know this has been hard. I know that you had to leave your homes, you had to quit your jobs, you had to pack up your family and move to a new place and try to get new jobs and maybe learn a new language. I know this has been hard. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider this as an opportunity for great joy. Can you imagine reading that as, as one of these people who, who left their homes and left their family and has suffered for their faith? They're going, no, no, no. This is not an opportunity. I'll tell you what this is an opportunity for. This is an opportunity for me to be 
upset, for me to be angry, maybe even a little bitter at God. This is an opportunity for me to complain to someone. Anybody ever complained in the last hour? This is what we do. This is an opportunity for me to blame someone. Somebody is at fault here. That's what this is an opportunity for. And James says, no, you need to step around to the other side of this and you need to see it from a different perspective. This pain, this persecution, this suffering is actually an opportunity for great joy. So we're like, okay, convince me, James, because that's a stretch. Verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James is saying, there, he's pointing to this point in the future. There is this version of you in the future where the things that used to hurt don't hurt anymore. The, the things that used to cause you pain are, are not as painful anymore. There's this version of you down the road that is mature and complete. When I first started learning to play guitar uh, in college, uh, I would borrow my friend's guitar and I would sit in the hallway when uh, no one else was around because nobody wanted to hear that. And uh, just, I would just play these same three chords over and over again, G, C, D, G, C, D, G, C, D. Uh, at first, I could only play for about 15 or 20 minutes because it hurt my hand so bad. Uh, my hand would start to cramp up and uh, I actually had the, the Brian Adams, you know, played it till my fingers bled thing going on. And uh, I could only play for a short time. But then the more I did it, I just, I, I just kind of, you know, went back to it even though I knew it was going to hurt and I kept playing until eventually I could play for 20 or 30 minutes and then 30 or 45 minutes and then I got to a point where I could play for however long I, I wanted to until my roommate would rip the guitar out of my hand um, because I had pushed through that point of pain to a place where it didn't hurt anymore. The thing that used to hurt didn't hurt anymore. And James is saying this, this is possible for you. You can get to this place down the road, but first, but first, your faith is going to be tested. He says, you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. This word that he uses for tested was uh, a word that, that they would have used uh, if, if you're a, uh, a metal worker, a silversmith, to refine the metal. It was this purifying process. That's, that's the testing that he's talking about. So it conjures this idea of, of a silversmith dumping a bunch of ore into a big pot and heating that up. And the heat causes these impurities to rise to the surface. And then you scrape that off. And then you heat it up again and the impurities rise to the surface and you scrape that off and, until the silversmith knows it's pure when he looks down into this pot and he can see his own reflection. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of what God is doing in us through our pain and our suffering and our loss He's heating us up so that these impurities, this fear, this anxiety, this insecurity rises to the surface and he clears it off until one day God is going to look down at you and he's going to see himself because that's what you were made for. You were created in the image of God to reflect the nature and character of God. And what if the only way to get there is to be heated up through pain and suffering and loss. So that, that's kind of what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Today, we're just going to start with the first step, the first step in really uh, embracing the pain of a growing faith. So we're going to start with a guy that knows a little bit about pain and loss. His name was Job. Uh, anybody ever thought, man, I want to be like Job when I grow up? 
Anybody, is that one of the Bible characters that you're like, oh, that guy just had the best, you know, best life, best story. You know what happened to Job, right? It starts out, and he's, he's wealthy. He's wealthy in, uh, not in dollars, but dollars was camels. He's like a camel heir, billionaire camel heir. That's a stretch. He just had a lot of camels, okay? He had a lot of camels. He was wealthy, uh, and he had a lot of kids, and he loved his kids, and he, he prayed for them, and he offered sacrifices on their behalf. And this, the accuser comes before God, and he says, you know why Job is so faithful to you? You gave him all this stuff. I mean, why wouldn't he love you? What if you took all his stuff away? And God says, all right, go ahead, try it. So in, in one day, he loses all of his wealth, and his kids all died in one day. And then, and then, and then he loses his health, because the enemy comes after that next. And so Job is, is sitting here, once a wealthy man, now he has nothing. He, he once was a father. He's no longer a father. His kids are all gone. And he's, he's in painful illness. Now, now we, we think of Job. I mean, he, he must have been a spiritual man, right? To have this whole book of the Bible, you know, about his life and his story. Must have been a very spiritual man. What does a spiritual person do when they experience this kind of pain and loss? I think, I think most of us would kind of go, oh, a spiritual person would just go, well, that, that must have been God's will. So I just have to grin and bear it and move on. Does that sound like what a spiritual person would do? Because that is not what Job did. Not at all. L- let me read something that Job said about how he was feeling. Job chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. He says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? And there's more of this. And Job just goes on and on. God, this, this is terrible. This is all, I hate this. Do you you know it's okay to say that to God? I mean, God didn't strike him dead for this. It seems to be okay for Job to embrace this pain, to step into it, to even challenge God and say, it feels like you're against me. Why are you against me? Why aren't you against evil instead of just me? I think we, we, we may have to deal with this thing in us that kind of goes, oh, this is a Bible story about a Bible guy, and okay, great, great for Job, but that's not me, that's not real life. So I want to share with you something a little closer to home. I have a friend who, who, who attends here, his name is Brett, and I sat down with Brett last week and uh, just, just to get his story, and um, it connected really well with, with this message. So I asked him, I said, can I share this on Sunday? Could you, could you add to this, elaborate? And so he did. So he wrote, wrote me a, a lot of, of notes here, that, that I want to share with you because of what Brett's been through in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, 10 years ago, they, they uh, had their first child. Six months later, he began to have seizures that almost took his life, but instead it left him with severe physical and developmental disabilities. Six years after that, Brett's stepmother passed away. Then his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Then his father passed away on the same year. And, and Brett was wrestling with significant pain and loss 
And I just asked him, what did you do with that? And so he wrote this for me, and I want to read this to you with his, his permission. I initially believed the pain, loss, and grief I was experiencing was too overwhelming and consuming to fully feel, or even to take time to think about. How could I be a good husband, dad, friend, and principal if I'm feeling and showing all this pain? I couldn't let it affect my life. I needed to be strong and reliable. What happened, happened, and I needed to move on. What I learned was that not allowing myself to feel my sorrow was actually going to kill me. What I mean is, I was afraid that starting to feel my pain would inevitably crush me and make me ineffective in the work, in my work or in my role as a husband or father. I was afraid that my pain would actually be too overwhelming to function. I just pictured myself lying in bed, unable to get up under the weight of all that, all that I had lost and the pain of my experience. I later learned, after a very long process, that embracing the truth of what I was feeling and leaning into it brought me to the very point where God wanted to heal my brokenness, my heart. While I was suppressing loss, sorrow, and grief, I was also suppressing love and joy and peace, which were the very gifts of healing and grace God wanted for me. So by shutting out my pain, which is a deception because it is in my very core, I was inevitably shutting out the invitation of God's healing. I don't know, if maybe that connects with you. Maybe you ever thought, like, I just, I need to stuff this down deep somewhere. I, I, I need to, maybe if you're a guy, you just thought, I need to man up and move on. I, I, I can't let anybody see what's going on inside of me. I can't show this hurt. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. And so I think many of us early on, as a kind of a defense mechanism, we build this vault inside of us, and that's where all the bad things go. The bad things that happen to us go into this vault so that we don't have to deal with them, no one has to know about them, and we can just bury them down in that vault and move on. The problem is that vaults leak. Those vaults inside of us leak. And it, and it comes out to other people as like nuclear waste, like radiation poisoning. Many of us should have to wear these symbols around on our shirts that, that are warning to everybody around us, I've got some toxic stuff in here, so if you get too close to me, it's going to get on you and poison you. We should... We should warn people about that. But we're convinced that the vault's going to hold everything. It's all, it's all going to be fine if I just keep it down in there. And what Brett learned and what Brett was, was teaching me, and I think what Job experienced and expressed, I can't bury that down in there. I have got to face it and embrace it. I've got to turn into my pain. I've, I've got to let it out. I've got to trust that God can handle my complaints. And Job did this for the sake of what he believed God could do through it. Here's what Job says in the same chapter that he started with the words, I loathe my life. Remember that? Just a few verses later, here's what he says. You have granted me life and steadfast love. Your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things, these things that happened to me, these things you hid in your heart, and I know that this was your purpose. Job's at a place where he doesn't know why. He still has no clue what God is doing. Doesn't know why this is happening. But he's able to say, I believe that you're up to something and that it's probably good. I I don't know what's going on, but you made me. You love me. You have at least preserved my spirit. You haven't taken my spirit from me. 
So you must be up to something good. Even in the midst of his pain, his sorrow, his agony over losing his family, Job was able to say, God, I, I hate this. It's terrible, but I still trust you to do something good. And Brett echoes that uh, in uh, his life and experience too. Let me read some more of what Brett shared with me. He says, sorrow and pain are a natural consequence of love and joy. We are not designed to say goodbye. We desire good things to last forever. Relationships, stages of life, friends, family, and to avoid pain, loss, and change at all costs. When I've lost a loved one or someone I love experiences great pain, it hurts me. It can even confuse my faith and my trust in God. I've learned that God does not and will not shield me from pain or even death. Instead, he sits down with me, meeting me where I am, and he stays close to me, whispering his truthful love over me. He prepares me for sorrow by speaking his truth about the situation to me, by giving me a new perspective. A new perspective. David talks about this in one of his psalms. David's someone who experienced a lot of pain and loss in his own life. In Psalm 34, David writes this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. That many are the afflictions of the righteous part, that doesn't, that doesn't really add up, does it? We, we think that that should say that the righteous should be experiencing blessing. Many are the blessings of the righteous, right? Great is the joy of the righteous. Many are the, many are the high, the mountaintop moments. Many are the victories. Many are the successes of the righteous. That's what we want that to say. But that's not how the world works. That's, that's not real life. David echoes real life and says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God rescues Brett talks about this. He says, this doesn't say that those who love and follow God will never experience pain. It says quite the opposite, that he will rescue us out of those devastating experiences when they do happen. I've learned this is a long, winding, and sloppy process that starts when I acknowledge God being near and when I am honest about what and how I'm feeling. My experiences have put life into a new perspective. What I once valued and held dear, I now consider previously what I once valued and held dear, I now consider loss, and I am now able to see a new beauty in those around me that I previously overlooked. For this, I am thankful, because while my life is not what I expected it to be, it is more beautiful and redemptive than I ever imagined it could be. Has your life turned out exactly like you expected? Has the last week, the last month, the last year turned out like you expected? Probably not. But what Brett is saying that is when he embraced his pain with this trust that God is doing something good, that, that life, his perspective became, it's just more beautiful and redemptive than I ever thought was possible. This is what Job experienced as well. He embraced it. He stepped into it. He challenged God. And he never got an answer to his question, Why? At the end, everything is restored to Job. He has more kids. He's wealthy again. And we kind of want to go, let, can we just skip to that part? Can we go from like chapter 2 to chapter 40 so that, you know, we've skipped all of this 
messy stuff in the middle and just can you, God, do the reward thing now. But what if the only way to get to the last chapter is to go through the next one? And what if that chapter is just embracing and facing your pain? So I, I want to help walk you through a little bit of a process this morning. Hopefully you got a bulletin. You should have a bulletin there, some notes on the back side of that. I think some of us have a hard time identifying pain and loss. If, if you grew up uh, with this mentality that I'm just, I'm just going to bury this, I'm going to ignore it, or I'm going to over-spiritualize it and say, well, it's, it's God's will, you know, I'll grant and bear it and move on, then maybe there are some things that you've never actually faced and embraced. So I want to walk you through this. If something comes to mind, circle it or write something down so that uh, you can take a step today that can help move you forward. In terms of loss, Maybe you experienced a, a job loss or loss of professional success. Maybe you experienced loss of financial dreams. Maybe loss of relationships. Maybe even a marriage. Maybe even children. Maybe you've lost status or reputation. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you've lost time. Fill in the blank there. In terms of pain, maybe you've experienced a tragedy that's personal in your own life or a community tragedy. Maybe you've experienced hurtful words, maybe even today. Maybe you've experienced rejection, the pain of failure or inadequacy. Or maybe you're dealing with the pain that's a consequence of your own sin. So let me ask you, how have you handled that loss or that pain? Here's, here's our go-to responses. We deny. Didn't, didn't actually happen. Didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. We minimalize. It's not that big a deal. We blame other people. If only he would, if only she would. We blame ourselves. I'm a terrible person. I'm just never going to get this right. We rationalize. We intellectualize. We distract ourselves with, with hobbies, with addictions. We become hostile. That's our toxicity leaking out on the people around us. Or we could face it and embrace it. That's the challenge I want to give you today. If, if there's something that popped up on that list that you resonated with and you thought, I've, I've never, actually, never actually dealt with that. Yes, it hurt, and I never told anyone. I never talked about it. I just stuffed it down deep. Today maybe is the day that you need to... I, I, here's what I think we should do. We should bring back sackcloth and ashes. You guys familiar with that phrase from the Old Testament? Sackcloth and ashes. This is when somebody was grieving or mourning in a really severe way, and so they would put on sackcloth, which is kind of like burlap, against their skin... Sound good so far? Everybody wants some burlap underwear? I thought we should have that available for you today in case you wanted to. I changed my mind because it's a terrible idea. Uh, sackcloth and ashes. They would dump ashes over their head. This is a very uncomfortable way to live. This was an outward expression of what was going on inside. This was saying to the people around you, I'm, I'm a mess right now. I'm an absolute wreck right now. Like, like my life is not good. It's so bad. That, that I'm wearing burlap and ashes. Like, that's how bad it is. But here's the beautiful thing about sackcloth and ashes. It was always temporary. It was always just for a time. No one put on sackcloth and ashes for the rest of their days. David says this in Psalm 30, verse 11, you have removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That if we will turn into our pain and we'll face it and embrace it, if we'll just admit to ourselves, this stinks, this is terrible, this hurts so bad, and let God clothe you with joy. Embrace 
your pain for the sake of what God is doing. The testing of your faith gives your endurance a chance to grow, so let it grow. Because when your endurance is complete, you're going to be perfect. God's going to be able to look at you and see his image reflected. This is bigger than just you. When God looks at you and can see his image reflected, do you know what other people see when they look at you? They see the same thing. They see the nature and character of God. They see, they, they see the love and grace of Jesus reflected in you. This is why we're still here. This is why you didn't just get zipped straight to heaven when you first accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. God left you here for a reason. That's to reflect the nature and character of Christ to everybody that you run into. And some of us have so much pain and suffering and loss that we've never really dealt with that we're actually leaking toxicity instead of reflecting Christ. But if you'll face it and embrace it, let him purify you through the testing, then the people around you will see Christ in you. You can let your light shine before men so they see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. And then more and more people get to experience the forgiveness and grace and hope of Jesus because you're reflecting him everywhere you go. Doesn't that sound like the way it ought to be? Let's get out of our own way. Let's deal with the pain and suffering and loss that we've experienced, that we're experiencing now, or maybe let's prepare for what's coming because maybe there's something coming right around the corner for you. Maybe you have a friend or loved one that's, that's in the middle of this right now and you don't know how to help them. I'm not suggesting that you be their therapist unless you're a qualified licensed therapist. But maybe you can point them to some truth that can help them walk through this in a way that honors God so that when other people look at us, they see Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, deal with some things that most of us honestly just don't want to deal with. Um, but I believe your word when it says that this testing is good for us. It can produce something in us that we can't get any other way. God, would you convince me of that? Would you convince my brothers and sisters here this morning that that's the truth? And may we live it out today, Father. May we, may we mourn, may we grieve, may we do whatever we need to do to, to face our pain in a way that allows you to move us forward. God, we do all of this for the sake of your glory and for the people around us who need to see Christ reflected in the lives of his children. Would you do that through us and in us? In Christ's name we pray, amen.